Hi, this is Sergeant Betsy Brander-Smith, and this is the NPA Report. I am so excited to have a friend of mine with me today, and he is a, he's a, uh, he was a police officer, he's a cybersecurity expert. You can hardly turn on cable news and not see this guy's face. And uh, so we're really excited to have uh, Morgan Wright with us today. Welcome, Morgan. Sergeant, you know, hey. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, Morgan, you know, you were a, you were a state trooper, you were a, a detective, um, and, uh, and I know your dedication to law enforcement. How have things changed uh, now for law enforcement officers today in the United States? You know, when I first started giving it away, 1982, ooh, um, you know, there was no such thing as, uh, and, and you, those of you, this is an inside baseball term, but when we talk about the Fair Labor Standards Act, the Houston versus uh, uh, Garcia versus the city of Houston, which started the whole uh, fair labor. I, I would go to, I would show up early. I say, I can't believe you guys are paying me for this. We would show up early with no pay, go to the briefing, work overtime, have lots of fun. But also back then too, the technology, uh, there was no technology. When I started off as a city officer, the only thing I really had was a handheld radio. Um, we maybe had a radar in the car, you know, and then a radio in the car. When I was a trooper, kind of went backwards in time. We had no handheld radios, just had to use an outside speaker. I used to, sometimes I would cover six counties. By the way, there's the state patrol badge right there, my radio number on there, 150. Um, so I, I'd have to get out, flip on the outside speaker, and you'd have to be, you know, it was a different time back then because, as you know, too, the first what they call the force continuum. Again, I know we're talking to a lot of folks out there that are not in police work, but when we talk about force continuum, it's, you know, what can an officer do to make an arrest? The first thing in that is your presence. If you look sloppy, and the FBI did a study on this, if you look sloppy, if you dress bad, there's a higher probability felons and somebody who want to do harm to you are going to engage you. That's why the state patrol invested in great uniforms. You had to look good. And if you look good, there was that element of authority and there was a lot more respect when I first started. I mean, the first time when I was 16 and I got stopped by a state trooper, really, I wet my pants. You know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to jail, you know? And now hey, you've got- I was, I was a city cop and I still, get, I still get a little scared when I get occasionally pulled over by a state trooper because, I, and this is true in all 50 states, state troopers just look intimidating and amazing. And, and, uh, and that's why- State troopers, exactly. That's why state troopers are able to go out there, male and female, largely by themselves, and get business done without doing a whole lot of rolling around on the ground because you're professional and, and, uh, and you know how to deal with people. It's, you know, it's terrific. Yeah, and, and you know, when my sometimes, I remember my first stolen car, my closest backup was 45 minutes away. Finally, I said, just get out of the car, lay on the ground, don't do anything stupid, you know? And so it, it was, it was a different time. And when I look at, I think there's been some good things because um, we were talking a little bit beforehand, but I, I, I did some work when I moved out here to Virginia. I'm in Northern Virginia now, just about 35 miles north and west of DC. Um, I had the opportunity to start working in the defense and the intelligence community on things. I still love the law enforcement, but I love the defense mission, the intelligence mission. And I was in Columbia, uh, working on Plan Columbia. And you, you just saw what they were struggling with down there. You know, the stuff they'd gone through. By the way, a good friend of mine, uh, we're actually working on a podcast, but if you've ever seen Narcos on Netflix, uh, the two guys that brought down uh, Pablo Escobar, Steve Murphy and Javier Pena, Steve Murphy's my neighbor, he's my buddy. So we actually are working on some stuff. But when you look at what little they had to work with and the things we had to do, you had to, it was a different time back then, I think a different respect for people. Now, 
we've gotten new technology. We've gotten a lot of things that have helped law enforcement. Look, you look at things like what they call the combined DNA information system, CODIS. DNA has helped solve a lot of cold cases. I'm actually work. I've got a box behind me right here. I'm working on three cold case homicides right now. Uh, we put together what we call the Center for Cold Case Analysis with the Virginia Association of Chiefs of Police. But DNA, my goodness, you know, you think about what you couldn't do with DNA just even five years ago, fingerprints, ballistics. So the technology has gone a long way. But I think what has changed, Betsy, is in society's attitude towards police as the, as the amount of professionalism has gone up and the things we have to do. It seems like over time, the respect for law enforcement um, has gone down. I could not fathom in my day being a college student, being in a cop's face, sticking my finger, yelling at him, screaming at him, throwing stuff at him. That, that's just anathema to me. That, that was just, I, I couldn't even conceive it. And now it's like commonplace, you turn on the news. And so, you know, I've, I tell you what, uh, to, for those folks to do what they do today, the men and women out there right now, I guarantee you, I salute you, to have the restraint to not, to, to stand there and take that kind of verbal abuse. Um, society has really changed. And that's one of the things that concerns me is I've been in many countries. I've worked in Pakistan with the Islamabad Capital Territory Police who protect President Musharraf and were fighting the Taliban. And, you know, and the challenges they had, the Turkish National Police, uh, you know, just all over the world. And it just, I just, I look at this and I go, what has happened to the respect for the rule of law for law enforcement? Now, let me caveat that by saying, are police perfect? Absolutely not. But are preachers perfect? Absolutely not. Are teachers perfect? You can't turn on the TV, it seems like, without finding a, a teacher who had an affair with the student. Does that mean all teachers are bad? No. We've got to stop this entire generalization that says, because one person might not be good, then they're all bad. That is wrong. And so I think we've gotten away from that instead of going back and saying, hey, look, the vast, vast, vast majority are good. They do it for the right reasons. Instead, we've allowed the media and social media to create this narrative is that there's these kind of things going on. And it's really not. I mean, if you believed everything the media said, nobody would believe, you know, I mean, they, they till this day, they, nobody believes we landed on the moon. There's a lot of people out there that don't think we ever landed on the moon. Congrats to the 50,000 people who kept it secret for 40 years, you know? Have you ever seen law enforcement so politicized? I mean, you're, you know, you're in that bubble of Washington, D.C. Yep. a lot, and you have worked in um, politics a little bit and uh, as an advisor. Have you ever seen us so politicized? You know, in 2012, I was the senior law enforcement advisor for the Republican National Convention. Um, and a lot of people think because you do that, well, then you're, in, you know, you're a nasty conservative or nasty Republican, not realizing at the same time our tactics and tools and the things we were doing were then used at the 2012 Democratic National Convention. This is about protecting people, right? It's not about an ideology. Um, you know, most, most police officers that, that I've run into, they, they stay above the fray of the politics because they're still there. It's about the badge. It's about the mission. And you're right. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff with a lot of national news networks. I, I've been on, I've actually been in the green room watching discussions happen. I've been there to see Hillary Clinton, to Ben Carson, to the president, um, you know, to, to all of these folks there. And it's amazing what people think they know versus what's actually happening. Um, the media has really changed how we view things. This 24-7, social media, always on. It has really changed the construct of how we view the world. And so, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's gotten politicized way more than it needs to. Um, it's done a disservice because at the end of the day, all of these folks who want to defund the police, and my brother-in-law is now the head chaplain for the St. Paul Police Department right next to Minneapolis. 
And when you hear him talk about the things they're doing to defend them uh, there and to, you know, to defend against this kind of thing, the same people who call for defund the police are the same ones calling the police saying, well, why is crime going up? You know, everybody, nobody wants to, nobody loves the police, you know, when they're behind them. And, you know, they, they want the police behind somebody else. But I'll tell you what. Who else are you going to call? Like, uh, I think it was Charles Barkley said, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters? When you dial 911? Exactly. You know, so. and, and the people who, who need the police the most are the people who don't have access to their own legal firearms and training, and, and they live in, you know, urban areas and things. And That's you were from you were from Illinois. You go back and ask the people in Chicago: Do yes. they want to get rid of the police and their projects and the neighborhoods? Resounding, no. No, we they need love them. Police. Yes. You know, who else is going to protect them? Exactly. The, the people in, and and there's been recent uh, Gallup polling, Rasmussen polling that says the people in these urban centers say, "Don't defund our cops." In fact, we need more cops. Yep. So yeah. Quick, here's a little known fact a lot of people don't realize. Between 9-11 and now, I ask people a lot of time, do you think New York City has more police officers today um, or more police officers on 9-11? They actually had more police officers on 9-11. They have lost eight to 10,000 officers in their force, I think. There are fewer officers protecting New York. There are fewer officers protecting Los Angeles. We have now gone from you know this many cops protecting this much area to this many cops. And then people say, you no, if you don't defund the police, you know what you need to do? reprioritize what you want the police to focus on. They can't be social workers, psychological counselors, um, and do all of these other things. If the primary protection is the, prote is the primary purpose, is the protection of life and property, let's get back to the original mission. Let's go back to Sir Robert Peel, the Peelian principles of policing. The police are the public and the public are the police. The police being the only members of society paid to give full time and attention to duties which are otherwise incumbent upon everybody which means everybody has a role in this. The police are the only ones paid to give full time and attention. Guys, we're all on the same team. Well, and I don't think you'd get an argument from a single cop in this country if you told them, hey, uh, you're never going to have to go to another suicide call. You're never going to have to go to another mental health call. You know, bring on the uniform mental health workers. But the problem is, I think, is that sounds like a good idea. But then people realize how expensive that is, and most, most jurisdictions don't want to pay for it. Well, look, not only is it expensive, how many, mental, how many calls about mental illness or somebody who was uh, mentally ill or causing problems, were they armed? Did they have a knife? Were they on PCP? Were they on meth? Were they in, in such a state that it, you, needed, you needed a taser? You needed handcuffs? You needed mace? You needed a baton? Are we really, I mean, are we going to equip every single social worker that goes out to handle mental health, mental health calls with that? Look, this whole mental health system actually is a huge issue for law enforcement because it's dramatically changed, you know, what they focus on. But, uh, you know, if, if anybody believes that you can simply take away uh, and put these folks responding to those kind of calls, um, and it's already happened the first time people get assaulted, they get hurt, they get killed, and you're going to say, well, they need to be armed. Well, then the minute they're armed, we're back to the police again. They're so. cops. Yeah, they're cops. we're, we're going to give them tools and weapons and special training and have them respond. Those are called police officers. Yep. <laughs> Morgan, um, because you are, you know, you're a you're a, a tech guy, boy. You're a computer expert, cybersecurity expert. One of the things we're seeing now with all the protests and, uh, and everything is uh, the doxing of police officers and now their families. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Sure. So let's level set real quick. What does doxing mean? Yeah, people spell it different ways with one X or two X's. But back in the 90s, it used to mean hackers would do what they call drop docs, D-O-X. But really it was physical papers. They would get papers, they would get information, and they would drop that information. In the military, in law enforcement, it's called DOCX, document exploitation. And what it's evolved to now is the abilities that all of our lives are pretty much digital. So uh, what happened, I'll give you an example too. This ties back to a real life example. It's Ferguson, uh, Michael Brown and Officer Wilson. Um, when that happened, you had members of anonymous people saying, hey, we're going to expose the personally identifiable information of police officers and city council members. And we're going to tell people where they live, what their date of birth is, their social security number, who their children are, what their telephone numbers are. In other words, we're, we're removing this veil of an anonymity around them. And be, the minute you do that, then we know where they live. We know what they drive. We know who their spouse is. Well, guess what? Anonymous got it wrong. They identified the wrong officer who said this was the one involved in Michael Brown, uh, the, the, the Michael Brown series of events. They doxed all of the members of the city council, subjected them to identity theft and stuff. So you really, you know what it is? It's, uh, it's a coward's way to take and you scour the internet. And trust me, look, there are 300 major information brokers out there that collect your information. Um, and they're, they're sourcing it all the time. And so it's very hard to remove all of your information. We'll talk in a minute about some steps you can do, but that's what doxing is. It's the releasing of personally identifiable information, primarily to embarrass you, to target you. It could also include breaking into your iCloud accounts or your uh, Google accounts, your drives, stealing personal pictures, stealing, you know, uh, intimate pictures, stealing sensitive information, all of those things, and then releasing it to exploit you. And that's where the term doxing came from. So doxing is the act of releasing information. The, the minute you pull the trigger and that bullet goes out the gun, you have no, you are responsible for everywhere that bullet goes is the old legal theory. When these people pull the trigger on doxing, they don't know the intended effect of what happens. And what ends up happening is that, for example, a warden in uh, Colorado was killed. A lot of this was they thought was uh, Pridden was traced back to the fact that his information was exposed. What about jurors on sensitive trials? What about judges? I will tell you, I was telling you about my buddy Steve Murphy in Colombia. They started going to what they called faceless justice because Pablo Escobar was killing so many judges. They were finding out where they live. They went to anonymous numbers, judge number 25, judge number 26. Why? Because anytime somebody was identified, they were getting killed. Now, I'm not saying that's what's happening here. But when you start seeing what happened, I think it was in Kansas City, where one of or the activists was standing out in front of the police department saying, we know where you live, we know where your kids go to school. Yeah. That's intimidation, that's threatening. And how do you find that stuff out? You dock somebody. Right, right. I mean, it, it's very frightening for police officers, um, for their families, for the attorneys who defend them. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's dangerous and it also becomes part of the whole social media cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And what can, briefly, what can people do about that? What, especially police officers and their families. So I have zero interest in this company other than I know the founders and I actually use the service myself and I've seen the impact it's had. It's called Manage Your ID, U-R-I-D or Y-O-U-R-I-D, Manage Your ID. What they've done is automate the process of going through and finding all these major information brokers and automating the process of removal. If you want to remove yourself out of some of these systems, you have to do it manually. You have to write letters or do things. They've automated the process of doing it. And for me, for a lot of the stuff that I do, um, you know, uh, you, it's hard not to find me. You can go on the internet, 
but I've made it as hard as possible to find out personal details out of me. So what people can do is do things like secure all of your accounts. Uh, freepasswordcourse.com, it's mine, but it's a free course. It teaches you how to set and remember strong passwords. I have probably 50 or 60 different passwords. It's all up here because I teach a system. I used to teach out at the uh, behavior analysis out at the National Cryptologic School out at the NSA. You know, it, it's really about how do you train people to remember certain things? If I ask you real quickly, Betsy, uh, who's your favorite uh, baseball team? Well, of course, the Chicago Cubs. Well, my favorite baseball team is the Chicago Cubs. I will show you how to take that sentence right there and turn it into a passphrase and have a separate password for each and every site you log into that would take, you know, 14 to 2,000 years to break, you know, if you try to do it. So strong passwords, things called multi-factor authentication. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a second step. It's a username. It's a password, and then it's another thing like a six-digit token that's generated. My favorite program is called Authy, A-U-T-H-Y. You might get things like with PayPal that they'll send you a text. If you ever got a text and they send you the, that's called two-step verification, but you need a third step to secure your accounts. Uh, John Podesta during the 2016 uh, presidential campaign, his account got hacked because he clicked on a phishing email that he shouldn't have. The Russians were able to get into his account. Why? Because he didn't have two-factor authentication and steal all of the information. So that's where a lot of the DNC uh, hack came from. You just got to protect yourself online, encrypt everything. Um, uh, your wireless network at home should be encrypted. Your data on your iPhone or Android should be encrypted. Um, do not, and if you are in public safety, it is a good habit to really put your social media profiles on private. You don't want to be exposing uh, information that people can get clues from like, hey, we were just at the city park because it's only a block from our house. Well, everybody knows this city park. Now they know where you live. You've just got to start thinking. Look, in this day and age, uh, it used to be that, Betsy, you know, when you and I were on the road, if you wanted to stalk somebody, you had to be on their property. Yes. You know, yeah. we could find footprints. Now I can stalk you, never leave my house. And if you click on a piece of malware, I can get it onto your phone and I can track what you're doing, saying, talking, texting. Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's mind boggling. But if we just do basic steps, don't fall for phishing emails, don't fall for spear phishing is when I directly target you like, hey, Betsy, here's something you might like versus dear Bank of America customer, click here. That's a phishing email. But spear phishing is, it's looked like it's targeted toward you. A lot of these come in PDF files, document files. So don't click on stuff from people, you know, look, folks, I will tell you right now, not a single person I know has ever become a millionaire by clicking on a link from a Nigerian prince. Not a single person I know. Oh man, that was my retirement plan. Well, you should let Dave know that. He needs to get busy, man. Start I'm clicking saying, on those emails. Right. I, and that's the thing is we want, we want, you know, everyone and especially police officers to be careful so that you don't end up with yep. protesters or whatever at your front door. And, and this, is, this is what our cops are dealing with now is dealing with, you know, the, the rioters, the protests. Morgan, is Antifa really just an idea? Uh. <laughs> You know, uh, my favorite saying when I'm on some of the shows is, look, I do ones and zeros, not R's and D's. But since this is not a political issue, I am going to weigh in heavily here. No, Antifa is not an idea. An idea is, uh, I would think it was um, um, 
Voltaire or whoever says, you know, there's nothing, no, Hugo, um, Victor Hugo said, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. This is not an idea. This is, this is people who organize around a common belief that say, we're going to take action based upon our common belief. It is not an idea. Look, I've been in the countries and worked with the people who have fought people who had quote, similar ideas. They were called ISIS. They were called the Taliban. They were called the cartel, the Cali cartel, the Medellin cartel. These folks, it, you know, a cartel is also an idea. Hey, let's all come together. We'll kill a lot of people. We'll make a lot of money. That's an idea. No. Once you get past just the talk stage and you now actually organize, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that, hey, we're all going to have the same email address and it's not like we're all working for the same company, right? But if we all act in concert with it, we all believe in the same philosophy and we all tend to act the same way. In other words, if one group of Antifa hates cops, I can guarantee you all groups of Antifa hate cops. That's not just an idea. That is actually, um, you know, Joseph Stalin um, was a master at manipulating people and he went beyond an idea. If you could get people to take action on the idea and start incorporating it into their beliefs, you've moved from an idea. They've now become ideologues. Now they, they've become people who are committed to a cause. And these folks don't, don't make no mistake. They're committed to a cause of anti-fascist behavior. They want to disrupt the United States. They want to, if you look at Clara Piven, if you look at uh, Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals, these are right out of the playbook of things that they do. And the more that you can tax law enforcement and keep them busy doing these things, then you drain resources, you create this kind of change. But I will tell you this, um, if you wanna see what life is like in a third world, I can give you the names of countries you can go visit and see what it's like when there's no law enforcement, when there's little infrastructure, when the radicals have been allowed to take over, and we call those third world countries. Other people refer to them as peepholes, you know, and um, I can't say, I don't know if I could, but I'm not going to anyway. But you know, but, but I'm telling you, if you wanna go around the world and see, there are plenty of places you can go. I am not gonna allow America to get into that uh, aspect. So at some point, the good people, um, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, bad men, what, what's that old saying is that, you know, um, I'm thinking too fast here for my own good, right? But it's like, you know, um, rough, rough men stand ready uh, yes. to do violence. You know, people sleep peaceably because rough men and women stand ready to do violence on your behalf. Look, you cannot allow the bad ideas to perpetrate. It's constant vigilance. We have to, we are a nation of laws. We are a free society. We only stay that way when there's respect. If you don't like the law, elect people, change the law. But until then, you don't get to freelance and decide, how, how about if the cops one day just say, we're not going to enforce murder. Just go out and kill anybody you want. We've decided we are no longer going to follow the law. We're going to freelance. How long would you guys put up with that when they were robbing your store and shooting your neighbors? You can't, you can't allow this freelancing to go on. Well, and that's, that's one of the things that we're trying to do at the National Police Association is support those in law enforcement and let people know how our system works and what they can do to help us. Morgan, we can't thank you enough. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org.